And I started to think that maybe it was about self-belief and that I've never gone into a race thinking that I can win it, like not a big race like uh, UTMB, like never. I've gone into it thinking I'm going to, you know, try and place as high as I can. If I can get in the top five, that would be great. But never thinking that I'm going to win it. So I've never really set out with that belief. And perhaps, not that I realized it at the time, but perhaps I was playing it a bit too safe. And, you know, we all like to criticize people who go off way too fast in these races, right? And like, you know, most vast majority of the time they drop or fall right back or, you know, most of the time it doesn't pay off. But maybe to win one of these big races, you need to take more risks. You know, maybe it's impossible to win without taking a massive risk. That, my friend, was Beth Pascal. And this is the Inspiration Runners podcast. Hey everyone, hope you're all staying safe during the lockdown. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. We have a superb bonus episode for you this week with one of the most accomplished UK ultra runners, Beth Pascal. She really hit the running scene with a bang in 2015 by winning the spine, the Brecon Beacons Ultra. She came second in the infamous Dragon's Back stage race and came first in a chance 24-hour race where she ran a staggering 142.9 miles. Since then, she's had a remarkable fourth finish in UTMB, the Great Western State and the Trans Gran Canaria Ultra. She ran the second fastest female time on the Paddy Buckley and came eighth in the Trail World Championships. Racing is on hold this year at the minute, but before the lockdown, she knocked out a marathon PB in Seville with a 2.48 marathon. Absolutely staggering. Just before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to the sponsors of this episode, Spring Energy Gels. I was recently informed of this great product from this week's guest, Beth Pascal. It's a natural product and just what I've been looking for to help me navigate away from the GI issues and energy crashes that I've been having during my events. It's made from real food. It has no maltodextrin added, no sugar added, no preservatives, artificial colors, concentrates. It's made with 100% natural foods such as rice, beetroot, banana, Coconut water, peanut butter, only high quality ingredients driven by science. Equipped with a vast athletic experience and inspired by passion for a healthy lifestyle. I'll place a link in the show notes. All listeners can benefit from 15% off their vegan range by using the code INSPIRESPRING during the month of May. They have a great 8-pack vegan sampler pack, so why not give them a try? I don't want to delay you any further. It's with great pleasure I give you... Beth Pascal. So you're working at the minute because you have planned to take um, some time out this year, hadn't you? You had that many big races on the radar. Yeah. Um, so I finished like work officially here beginning of February and the plan was to have six months um, off working regularly. Uh, and I was supposed to be in the UK for the first few weeks anyway. So I was doing a bit of locum work anyway, like bank shifts. I think I managed six weeks in total <laughs> before I was like, oh, clearly there's no point continuing like with no with no travel or racing for the foreseeable future. I may as well go back to work. So after six weeks, I was, yeah, back at work. Yeah, what a change. Like just turned the whole year upside down, didn't it? Yeah, sure. Um, it, it was difficult to deal with initially, Although I kind of surprised myself how quickly I got over it, to be honest. I mean, if six months ago someone had said, oh, you're not you're not going to be able to do this. There'll be no racing. You know, you won't be able to travel. You'll be like, this is something I've been kind of 
um, building up to for quite a while, I guess. You know, if I thought if I'd known that then, I would have been devastated. Mm. But actually, I, you know, I got over it quite quickly. I think when it's so clearly no one's fault and it was so, you know, I could never, no one ever, ever would have speculated this was going to happen. Um, maybe that makes it easier to deal with. So how, I don't know. How are you finding life at the minute now? Because I'm feeling... Um like there's been a huge pressure lifted off of no races and it's actually quite a relaxing moment that I'm actually starting to enjoy um yeah I, I I don't know really I think I need I to I need you know to be to have something coming up to motivate me to train so yeah I'm still training and stuff um but I like I'm very kind of goal focused like I'm not one of those people who can who finds it easy to train really hard when you know I'm not sure what I'm training for and but yeah it it does there is kind of a laid back vibe about you know even though I'm I'm working and stuff and probably have less time on my hands than most people right now um yeah it, yeah pace of life just seems to be a bit slower yeah it's hard to maintain that focus like i was talking to uh, my target race was lavaredo this year mm. um so they cancelled pretty early it based on it being in june um yeah and it was quite uh weight lifted because you were trying to train and focus for it and you were is it going to happen is it not going to happen and um, i talked to a few mates yesterday who are doing tds this year and they're still in that zone like of you know you almost know it's not going to happen um, but the decision still has to be made. Like, and until that happens, you know, they're out there on the mountains and they're pushing it every single week, like, and trying to build their miles up and get that strength in. Um, but it is difficult, like, isn't it, in that situation? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm the same. I'm still clinging on to a little bit of hope that UTMB might happen. And, and you know, even though I'm probably kidding myself, maybe that's, like, what we need, right? Mm. Like, if we have that really pessimistic view that, you know, there's going to be no races in the next, you know, before 2021, then that is, is, you know, it's not ideal for, for motivation. Um, I had Damien Hall on the podcast about a couple of months back. Yeah. And I'd watched the Cape Wrath just to touch on that very, very slightly. That was an amazing video. I really enjoyed watching. I love that escapism. I live in the Mole Mountains here, and it sort of reminded me of that on a bigger scale, and you see the stags and the deers and all that good thing. Apart from Damien, what was your biggest challenge of that? <laughs> uh, without doubt, it was the, the sleep deprivation. Yeah, without doubt. Um, I think I... Even before we, before we started, I was kind of tired. Like I think I've been working quite hard, and I just finished a um, set of night shifts. And yeah, I think I was kind of tired going into it. And even you know from the first night, I really struggled with um, with the sleep deprivation and needing to. It's one of the most. I think it's one of the worst feelings. Is you know it's worse than fatigue. It's worse than being cold. Like being you're needing to move, but you physically can't stay awake it's really really hard mm. uh so yeah like and, and that was the case you know 16 hours a day because that you know it was dark 16 hours a day um so that yeah as soon as the sun went down I, it was so predictable i would just be fighting it you know for the next 16 hours um so what, yeah that was what's, that was what's your mindset with the likes up do you take that as part of the challenge and the growth then you say okay look, i know this is difficult but this is you know, I'm getting something out of this. Yeah, for sure. And 
and you always learn something. I think with the sleep, we kept having like micro naps on the trail. So we'd, we'd, you know, as soon as I felt like I was, I just could not physically stay awake any longer. We'd be like, we'd agree that we'd have a quick power nap. So I'd dropped, we'd drop to the floor. Sometimes Damien joined me, joined me. Sometimes he didn't feel like he needed to. And we'd sleep for two minutes, five minutes without even taking our pack off and then just carry on again. And that's something that, and, and it's amazing how refreshing that is. And I never quite realized that that could be a useful, it's not something we really planned on doing, but it, it turned out to be incredibly useful. Yeah. Yeah, I love the bit when you come into the small hut and there was beds in the film. Like it was like, <laughs> it's like you find the Holy Grail. <laughs> Must be the worst yeah. beds you could have ever slept on in your entire lives. But it was like, wow, five star. Oh yeah, that was special. Although it probably wasn't helpful because we ended up sleeping for a bit longer than we intended to because <laughs> it was just so good. <laughs> there seemed to be, um, I was looking at some of your results on the Power of 10 there and there seemed to be quite a, a leap from 2014 to 2015 so you look at the is it the Taunton Marathon did I pronounce uh, that right yeah yeah that's that's I don't live there but that's where I'm from yeah okay so you ran 328 in 2014 and then 2015 you ran 306 what was the what was the jump in that or what created that hmm um good spot i hadn't quite realized that that's that sounds when you put it like that it's kind of significant <laughs> isn't it um almost... i think i was <laughs> i think i was just running more in general i think probably the 328 was when i was just getting into running and it wasn't like i you know had been training really hard and then suddenly changed something in my training and ran much faster it was just me as a beginner and then just doing a bit more structured training really i think early on it's easy to make big jumps like that it's yeah. it's after you've been training hard for a few years and it gets a bit harder so, um so you think yeah. it was that like more structure adding like speed sessions into a hill repeat so there's some level of structure and diversity i suppose yeah i think i was living in bristol at that time and i started running with a with a club um not not super regularly but i might do like a track session once a week with them or not not every week but maybe once or every two weeks and that probably helped with that marathon time. But more than anything, I think it was just more miles, you know. You'd done a lot of fell running and things like that before that, hadn't you? No. No. So that no. was your introduction into it, was it? Yeah, I don't think I'd done any fell running really until uh, before until I ran the Dragon's Back race in 2015. Okay, that, that um, was a huge jump though then. So you've gone from this three hour six marathon. That's why I made that assumption. There must have been a lot of like, trail running and fell running beforehand and no, then, like, no you catapult yourself into the spine in 2015 I think yeah I remember entering the spine race without really thinking about it very hard and when I realized what I'd done and actually found out a bit more about the race I was petrified yeah, yeah I was like what on earth have I done it was one of those not quite spur of the moment like I must have considered it a bit but um yeah, certainly had not done my research or really knew what it entailed. You came first in that race, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. did that surprise you? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess it did. I, I mean, going into those things, I was still at that point in my career when I just, it was about, you know, finding out what I could do and certainly just about finishing the races. But yeah, some people had told me beforehand that, you know, I could do well, I guess. And before I'd had a few race, good race, race results before then 
So I guess it was on the cards, but certainly going into it, I wasn't thinking I wanted to win. It was very much just about finishing. Yeah. And I asked um, John Kelly, you know, try and describe the race in one sentence. And he called it a brutal, beautiful adventure, which I thought was perfect because you were quoted saying it's awful, but it was amazing. What do you think it is? (laughs) What do you think it is on that? Because it's horrible at times, like, isn't it? When you're going through that depth of despair and you come out the other end and you think it's the most amazing thing. What What is it about those type of races that makes us feel that way? I think it's about the all the really intense emotions you get during something like that. So it's inevitable there'll be massive lows and massive highs. And it's difficult to find other things in, well, in my life and you know probably a lot of other people's lives that can do that you know like yeah if I go to work I have a good day I might come home on a high or I might have a bad day and feel pretty rubbish but that level of like intensity of the emotions is not the same as it is in something like uh, well you know it's the same for any ultra race Mm. basically so I think I think it's about that but I I I'm trying to still figure it out myself to be honest yeah there's almost this band that we live in of highs and lows and when you do these long endurance races the lows you talk about comfort zones like you go much deeper Mm. um, and there's a lot more growth in that area and then Mm. on the flip side of that it's always like i had done ccc last year and it was the second half it was very difficult should i say for better words um and i was thinking like i'm never doing these type of races again i'm going back to 5k park run 10k and as soon as I crossed the finish line, I had the phone out trying to work out how many points I, I'd got to try and get into UTMB. What do I need to do? And it was such a high, you know, a couple of yeah. minutes after it. And yeah, yeah. it almost opens that band of high and lows where your growth is rather than having mm. that sort of consistency without those. And every ultra I've found, long distance sort of ultra races, like sort of brings you into that zone, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, you put it very well, much better than I put it, to be honest. But absolutely, I, you know, that's exactly what it is. And it's, yeah, it's really difficult to to figure that out, I think. I think a lot of people are still, there's still a lot, you know, we don't know about what it does for us. And I think to some extent, people do these things for different reasons. But I think most of it comes down to that. Because even, even races which are just terrible from start to finish, we still, you know, it doesn't put us off, does it? There's still something that we that we loved about it, even though even deep down we know that there was no, you know, uh, pleasure actually during the during the race. Yeah, you've only been at it for about five years. Are you enjoying that sort of path of self discovery? Is that what it is for you? Do you feel that you're like halfway on that journey at the minute? Um, I I guess I think. Uh, I've touched on this before. I think when I first started, it was very much just about finishing the races. And now the shift is more towards doing well in the races because I know that I can run 100 miles. You know, I might not be able to do it every time. I, I don't do it every time, but I know I can run 100 miles. So the, the focus is more on, you know, winning or getting on the podium or getting in the top 10 or something like that. And certainly the last, few years I've well maybe a couple of years I still think I'm improving and I think I'm progressing but like the it becomes harder to to make like 
incremental improvements. But I still think I'm I'm making them. And I'd like to think that, you know, I can still improve. Mm. But certainly you you find yourself thinking harder about little things and ways you, that you can then you can progress as a runner because initially it's kind of easy you just run more <laughs> um if only that was the secret like but you've had a huge <laughs> amount of wins like um your blog's amazing i'm gonna attach it to the show notes so people can read it um so you've been you. i haven't I haven't updated it for 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 years <laughs> <laughs> but yeah do um, it. but absolutely amazing like and um but it shows you like, because you did come, you came fourth in quite a number of the, the larger races. But when you're trying to juggle a sort of work in life, and I know Damien Hall had that same sort of issue as well. He came fifth in UTMB. And you're, and you're racing against people, you know, who are out there months at a time, like, and have coaches and the best of this and that. Like, do you find that a challenge or more of a hindrance? Um, what a challenge that I, I'm working at the same time as trying to train really hard. Um, well, that's definitely a challenge, but I mean, the bigger challenge from trying to get onto the podium, for having come fourth three times in a row, do you think it is, uh, to come fourth in those three races is absolutely amazing, whilst <laughs> working, um, to try and actually then to try and create a podium, do you think, like, to take that next step, that you have to, there's almost a compromise somewhere? Perhaps, and I don't entirely know the answer. I think after I had those those three fourth places, so it was Transgran Canaria, UTMB in Western States I was fourth and I felt like I was a bit stuck in fourth position and I didn't feel that in my you know current training I could have changed much or so I started to think about you know other things like is it is it you know my racing tactics maybe that mean that I cannot you know race uh, I can't place better than fourth place and because you know like the difference between you know, say 15 minutes um, or it was, well, at UTMB when I came fourth, it was a 23 minute difference. And that is between fourth and first. And that is not physical. There's no way that is just physical fitness. There's so much more to it. And I started to think that maybe it was about self-belief and that I've never gone into a race thinking that I can win it, like not a big race like uh, UTMB, like never. I've gone into it thinking I'm going to, you know, try and place as high as I can if I can get in the top five that would be great but never thinking that I'm going to win it so I've never really set out with that belief and perhaps not that I realized it at the time but perhaps I was playing it a bit too safe and you know we all like to criticize people who go off way too fast in these races right and like you know most vast majority of the time they drop or fall right back or you know most of the time it doesn't pay off maybe to win one of these big races you need to take more risks you know maybe it's impossible to win without taking a massive risk and that's why that you know there are very few people who can win rate ultras consistently very few people so at utmb last year i was right okay i'm gonna try something different i'm gonna go off a lot harder and just see what happens like you know i've got nothing to prove i know i can run 100 miles um if it doesn't you know pay off then you know it's not the end of the world and uh so I did well to be honest I'm not that fast at running so like me trying to go off hard is actually you know there were people who are much faster runners um than me and I I struggled to actually I probably couldn't have even kept up with the leading women for the first 10k um but yeah I tried to go off harder and, and 
it was about 15 miles in I was just completely uh, completely I had some stomach issues and so I had to slow right down and yeah that that plan that tactic didn't I never really got to test it so maybe next time yeah is that something you want to venture into more than just try and sort of change it up a little bit yeah I think so you know there's no point just settling for fourth all the time um got nothing to lose <laughs> well, you've already had fourth now so it's about throwing your hat in there isn't it yeah you, yeah. you mentioned there the dragon's back like 2015 like that's a huge leap into very very big races like i watched the i happened to watch the video yesterday on amazon prime with steve burkenshaw um just by coincidence like and it is a pretty relentless race like isn't it oh yeah i think it's you know it's the is easily the hardest multi-stage race that is out there and i think even more so back then the first three editions if we include the 1992 um when we didn't um we didn't know the route. So now, you know, you can download the GPX tracks beforehand and you know where you're going to go. But we were just handed a map um, each morning. And, and so the navigation was a huge challenge. And yeah, now it's a little bit easier, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But yeah, it was uh, it was certainly just the, yeah, the challenge that really, really appealed to me. And I did train really hard for it like I would uh did a lot of reccees and tried to speculate where the race might go and race all sorts of different lines and things and yeah I took that side of things pretty seriously um what yeah. sort of mileage were you doing then training for that blimey I don't know yeah. uh but was <laughs> probably it just a, was probably just, not a lot probably yeah, just not about, a lot. about getting onto the mountains and doing as much ascending as possible yeah exa- exactly like a lot of time on feet but I doubt my mileage was very high Mm-hmm. but I was you know I was living in Bristol so it's it's quite a long way to get up to Snowdonia mm-hmm. do you enjoy the training aspect of it oh oh absolutely like I think one of my yeah training for the Dragon's Bat race was probably the best fun I've ever had training I had a I did a lot of training with a friend Kirsty Hewitson who did the race in 2012 and she um, yeah she really helped in showing me different lines and talking through um you know different different options and things so that was really cool yeah we had a lot of fun wrecking for that race no i have awful problems with my ankles <laughs> people listening to this will laugh that know me like um i wrecked my left ankle last year my right ankle this year like do you do much because the dragon's back is a bucket list race for me um and one thing does consume me because it's quite technical as well i'm fast mm-hmm. and technical at times as well so um, do you do much strength and conditioning for races like that I didn't do any back then. I do do strength and conditioning now, um, but something I've only done in the last couple of years. But yeah, I didn't do any. But I don't think the strength and conditioning I do now is would help at all with kind of ankle injuries and things like that, to be honest. I think it's a, just about spending time on similar terrain, I guess. Yeah. Is it more core work that you're doing at the minute then? Uh, a bit of core work and I've now just received uh, some dumbbells after them being like in the post for four weeks or whatever <laughs> whatever it's been um so I'll do some sort of I mean not heavy weights but you know some step ups and split squats and things like that with some dumbbells but nothing nothing else not like not proper um sort of olympic lifts or anything like that yeah you came second in the dragon's back as well like that was pretty amazing you know back then to be so early in that career 
um even to complete it, it in itself is amazing on the dragon's back because yes. um, how far is it? is it 260 kilometers or something ah uh, maybe i think closer to 400 kilometers a crazy amount of ascent in that i don't know if it's fifteen thousand meters or not something like that anyway very technical like a lot a lot yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's a lot how do you fuel on a, a race like that so it was good for people who are nearer the front because we could get to camp back uh, to the camp at the end of each leg fairly early and just eat non-stop <laughs> for the food there is great uh, yeah just eat non-stop so until we went to bed you're just eating plenty of solid foods and things like that just all yeah foods. yeah has your nutrition developed over the last few years um Yes, I would say so. I can't, I couldn't actually tell you what I ate during the race. So now I use spring energy gels. They're like, um, they're gels, but they're made of more complex carbohydrates. So they've got some rice and some fruit and things like that in them. Um, So no, they're not maltodextrin. Um, And I've been using them for a couple of years, I would say. And it's yeah, completely transformed my my race nutrition. I'm I'm just I'm become very well rehearsed now. So all I eat in races is these gels, and I can eat them for you know the whole of UTMB and very little else. Wow, that's and pretty I fi- good. Like yeah, I find even with the when I used to use you know other maltodextrin gels, I would still get like even if I was eating you know three or four an hour, I would get big. Uh, peaks and troughs in my energy levels which i don't get when i use um the the spring energy gels that have more complex carbohydrate in um so yeah i i'm pretty good at my race nutrition pretty well dialed now yeah that's pretty cool like because i find i have it dialed in and the next time i go it goes up the left and then next time <laughs> you think you've got it mastered and what i found was oh it was great i've gone eight hours this time next time i was able to go to i made adjustments went 12 hours I get mm-hmm, like 16 mm-hmm. hours <laughs> but it seems to be when I get to that point it just drops off again like um, it's hard because it's you can never do that in training can you <laughs> um yeah like you can do all your training runs with your race nutrition but you're not going to be running for more than eight hours for most people or a lot less that's it as well like what about your overall nutrition like is it like what type of diet would you eat you're not really focused on any specific sort of fad diets or anything like that like plant-based or anything like that no I'm not super strict about anything so I would say 95% of what I eat is plant-based um but that's mainly because so I, I I've been vegetarian for a long time but I do eat I do eat eggs because we have our own chickens and that's really nice <laughs> um and I you know I I know they have a nice happy life and yeah I think when I first started to take running a bit more seriously I did make a conscious effort to think about timing of eating specific foods sort of around training and things like that and now I don't think like it's kind of like second nature I still I don't have to think about it too hard basically so if I know I've got a long run then I'll make sure you know 24 hours before I'll have a big like carb dense meal um and say after my sessions I'll always kind of be drip feeding protein and things um for the rest of the day i don't really use any specific products just yeah just whole foods i guess um but I, yeah i don't you know except meat i don't exclude anything else from my diet because a plant base is very highly nutritional isn't it it's given you most of what you want um one time i went through i trialed four different diets in four different months to see how it would work <laughs> okay um, 
because I had the time to do so. Like, and the plant based one, I found the easiest. You mm-hmm. know, you can just go in, you just grab anything up off the shelf, just throw it in, like, and you make amazing food with it. And it was the, my energy levels went through the roof, especially the lack of sugar that was in the diet was more consistent, and my recovery mm. was far quicker. Um, I did try other diets, um, like the keto diet, the gluten-free diet, but they're very complicated. Like the gluten-free was a good diet, but it's too complicated to pick up packs. You don't have the time in life to do those sort yeah, of things. Yeah, 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 sure. I love just going in with a shopping trolley and just loading it up. And a plant-based diet does give you that luxury. And you can eat quite a lot as well and get away with it. Um, but I find that the energy that you get from that, because you're getting so many vitamins and nutrition in that, and, and probably just forced to eat more carbohydrate as well which as runners that's that's what we need um yeah. i mean i think it's less about you know the the name of the diet that you're following but more about like you can eat you can eat you know a really crappy plant-based diet if you wanted to you know yeah. you could just eat like pasta and oreos and i don't know you can eat a lot of junk or you can eat like a super super healthy uh you know what we'd call normal diet so you're eating um, animal products but as long as you're not eating like so if you had a a grass-fed steak once a week and had a really healthy Mm. balanced diet then you know you'd be much better off doing that than being like plant-based um so yeah i think it's it's much good fresh it's not quite as straightforward as is the the name of the diet you're following yeah i think it's it's good fresh food is important the sugar and everything <laughs> trying to avoid that as much as possible um, sure. one thing stuck out in 2015 was the I'll pronounce this correctly correctly the self self transcendental the 24 hour <laughs> the race that you did <laughs> um, yeah it didn't seem to fit with everything else that you were doing and how did that come about yeah i was a bit confused um <laughs> you know how trail runners might you know fancy running a marathon just out of curiosity to see how fast they could run because that's how the only way you can really compare yourself against other runners is you know what's your marathon time so some people might do that out of curiosity even though they have no intention of being a road runner right and I think I did the 24-hour race for a similar reason I was like oh I'm just curious to know how far I could run and it was a, a last minute decision. I know I, I think I contacted the, the race director about three weeks before, or maybe it was even less than that. And the race was full, but they managed to slot me in. And it was, you know, it was something that just uh, I had nothing on that weekend. I, it'd just be, you know, out of curiosity. I had no intention of ever doing another one. But that, that was it, really. I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't think it through. <laughs> you came first in it. It was a track 24 hour, was it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 142.9 miles and that's pretty remarkable though it it shows this sort of natural talent of endurance or do you think it just came off the back of all the training that you'd done that year yeah certainly it was about all the training I'd done yeah I clearly didn't do any specific training for that but I don't think you need to and and perhaps it actually would be detrimental to (laughs) to do any specific training for a 24-hour race otherwise you're you're kind of get more of an insight in what into what you're letting yourself into and that's it's probably best to go into it um completely clueless so some some people find it to be very much you know raw running 
I don't know if that's the best way to describe it. Well, running might, pure running would be a better way to describe it. Of just running on the track and your form and your breathing, and it sort of strips you down in a different type of way. Did you find that? Did you enjoy <laughs> running loops around for 24 hours? It was it a totally different experience? I did enjoy it. And a part of it was the novelty, I think. And it was going into the, yeah, going into the unknown. Um, and things happened to me during that race that have like never happened, have happened before and never happen again. Um, and it's different in the, in that when you do any other ultra race, you're mainly running on your own. Um, you're certainly not like running with people all the time, but, but there, you know, you're, it's a small, it's a, you know, 400 meter track. There's people all, all the way around cheering you on. There's the other runners. And actually it's the most sociable type of race that exists. And that was really cool. Um, so I never really got, got bored or um, I got a really awful blisters, um, worse than I've ever had before. I wore fell shoes, actually. I wore the same shoes for that as I did for the dragon's back. <laughs> I wore in a, I Innovate X talons. Um, Jeez. <laughs> um, but I don't think that was why I got the blisters. It was more, you know, I'd never done that type of running before. Yeah, that's class. But 142 miles, like that's pretty epic. Like, um, yeah, yeah, it was all right. I surprised myself. <laughs> so 2016, then you moved into the Highland Flings, another one that's on my bucket list. It's an epic race. I was actually hoping to do mm -hmm. it this year. Um, but it was the UK Trail Champions. Like, you've now catapulted yourself in a very, very short period of time. You know, from going from a three-hour sixth marathon to doing all these epic races, and I'll put a list up afterwards. You had a lot of firsts in 2015 on some real big hardcore races, and then you entered the Highland Thing, which was a UKL Trail Championship, and you won that. Um, it's quite a hard week course as well, 53 miles, and it just shows you this pace along with the endurance as well. Was that where that brought your mind then to a different sort of place into your racing? Yeah, as in as in winning that race, did that kind of yeah. change things for me? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that was my kind of breakthrough race. I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't expect it at all. Um, yeah, I think it was after that race, actually, that I got a coach for the first time. And I kind of thought, you know, maybe I could take this a bit more seriously. Um, yeah, and it's a it's a different race to things i've done before it as it's it's kind of fast fast and flat um and i had you know i trained fairly hard for it and done some changed my training slightly but yeah it was still yeah it was a big deal for me at the time yeah what do you mean by train hard what does that mean to you like when you go into something like <laughs> that you're just hammering the mountains as much as you possibly can is it as simple as that i think for me it was probably quite a lot about just running more I don't think I did maybe I did a little bit of speed work some intervals and things like that um but certainly the highland highland fling actually I was avoiding the mountains because you know it's 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 a pretty fast race yeah. um yeah but I it, yeah I find it difficult to remember exactly what I did I'd have to go back on and look at Strava it'd be super interesting <laughs> <laughs> to see what my mileage was and stuff. I don't yeah. think it was anything spectacular. It was it was hard for me back then, but now probably if I, I'd probably train harder now, to be honest. Yeah, because I suppose that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get where you were at and where you've come to and what actually bridged that gap. 
because um, there are a lot of people at that starting point or stuck and stagnant. Um, I'm not talking about me. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of people and we do, we sort of get stuck there and we're trying to understand and that's why a lot of people would listen to the podcast looking for yeah. those hints and tips and what actually moves people forward. Like, it's a bit difficult in your case because you're bloody winning every single race that you, <laughs> you were entering. So you already have this amazing starting point. Um, but it seems to be that the, your equation for that was just hard work at that time. And I suppose yeah, the I love of running, I suppose that's yeah. what was bringing you out yeah absolutely I certainly wasn't scientific about anything um but still I would say you know getting a coach was a big move and I made a bigger jump after I got a coach for the first time than I did at any point before that so for people who are kind of feel like they're stuck <laughs> I think a sensible thing is to get a coach <laughs> um, but you've done amazing things that was a qualifier into the world championships and yeah. you went out with Team GB. So that must have been an amazing experience. Pretty proud. Oh, yeah, that was super cool. Super cool. Yeah. Like 2016 as well. What was in your mind then? Like, cause everything's happened pretty quick at this stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Representing GB was like, yeah, a massive honor. And again, it's a, like another little thing. You think, oh, OK, yeah, you know, things are going the right direction. I might I could be good at this. Uh, super excited to like to take it to the next level and you know be as best as I best as I can be um yeah I was definitely like the most exciting probably year of my running career um you know you just feel like the sky is the limit I guess yeah so your confidence was flying at that point yeah um, sure. and you came eighth in that race like so that must have been mind-blowing like to get a top 10 in the world championships would be absolutely an amazing target to hit um, but to come eighth in that, like, how did that make you feel? Like, was it a surprise to you that that had actually happened? Because now you're eighth in the world. I had never done, that was my first international race. So I had no idea what to expect. I guess I was hoping that I could, you know, get make the top 10. That was what I was aiming for. But I really had no idea because I'd never raced anyone from another country before you know and you don't really know in your little bubble of racing in the UK you have no idea how you compare um but yeah I was super chuffed with that result in your mind where did you go after that then did you think about these bigger races and like did, did you understand where your competitiveness or what type of race you should be doing at that, that point was it directing you yeah I I think I decided I wanted to race more internationally um like racing in the UK is great and we've got a lot of, you know, really talented trail runners and things who who run local races. Um, but I think I realized that in order to progress, I needed to like bigger challenges and that was going to be, you know, racing more internationally. So it was then that I thought I would run some of the ultra trail world tour races and build up to UTMB, um, which had always been like a, a you know one of my one of my dreams yeah did you think back then that you would be as successful as you were well <laughs> that was a stupid question <laughs> like wasn't it like yeah someday i'm gonna come forth in utmb like <laughs> i'm glad i can edit this by the way no because that was a stupid <laughs> question no but um, it, it is pretty I amazing think it's a good 
Yeah, I think ahead. it's a good question because I can think of some people who have so much belief that they just know they're going to be like the best. And there's no way I had that. No. Okay. I would say I've always lacked. Yeah, I've been ambitious and things, but always lacked some self-belief. Like there's no way I thought I could, you know, do do well at races like UTMB. No way. Yeah, but you, you're building this huge CV, though, of firsts and seconds sort of places and on all these big races. And it was, was it 2018 when you first went to UTMB? Yes, that's right. You'd done Lavarado just before that, which was the end of June. Um, was that, how do you find that? Quite a few people do that. Do you find that it's very close to UTMB, which is the end of August? Um, no, I think it's about right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a terrible race at Lavarado. Um, and basically walked the second half. <laughs> so for me, it wasn't like it perhaps didn't take as much out of me as it could have done. Um, but now I think it's about it's about doable. Yeah, there are plenty of people who've done well at both. Why did you have such a bad race, Lavaretto? The altitude. I'm pretty certain of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do you find in that that is one of your that's quite a big challenge then when you're in the UK training so much and then going out there. Like you're, yeah. only, you're only going out a week or two in advance if you're lucky due to mm. work. So it, it took me a while. It took me a couple of bad races, basically. Uh, my first UTMB and Lavaredo for me to realise, actually, no, the, my first UTMB was the year before, 2017, and had a bad race there, which I put down to... Um, hypothermia which was ultimately why I dropped out but I didn't think anything else of it um, and then I had a bad race at Lavaredo and then it like having talked to my coach and things like it became pretty clear that it was the altitude um, there was you know everything else had gone super well and yeah so it, my first UTMB what happened is that I felt great I was actually in third place um, I think about 50 or 60 miles in um, and then suddenly I just, just felt, you know, exhausted. Like I just felt wiped out. I was breathing really heavily. I, and, and because of that, I just slowed down and it was a terrible weather year. And I, yeah, I just got so, so cold basically. And that's why I dropped out. Um, yeah, so it's a massive, a massive challenge, the altitude. And it's basically means that there's no point in me going to one of these big European races at altitude unless I've had time to acclimatize there's like there's just no point so which is a bit of a pain because some people it doesn't affect at all um so so yeah like uh last year for UTMB I went out two weeks before and the year before I was actually out for nearly three weeks um okay. just yeah it does like cause I did CCC last year and mm. a friend of mine did UTMB and he got hit really bad with um, altitude sickness. And mm. I did feel it at the tops. Like I was thinking to myself, what the heck is going on here? It was the first time I'd experienced it. And mm. I felt like I was in a, a space suit. <laughs> <It's just> like <laughs> you can feel your heart pumping in your chest. And I was like, yeah. what's going on here? Like, I, geez, it must be altitude. But I looked behind and everybody had slowed. So I was okay with that. <laughs> yeah. I um, think what people, a lot of people don't realize is that just because you, if you don't get altitude sickness, it doesn't mean that the altitude isn't significantly slowing you down, you know. Um, and you can, if you're just running at altitude, you might feel as 
exhausted after 50 miles as you normally would after 100 miles so it, it is just you're just working that tiny bit harder um so you might not be getting sick i think a lot of people um who have a really hard time at utmb and other and ccc and tds don't realize they're being affected by the altitude they think they just had a bad race <laughs> but it probably was the altitude you did the in 2017 you done the paddy buckley as well as a reason why you chose the paddy buckley out of those three it being the hardest uh it was just because i knew snowdonia better than i knew anywhere else it was the obvious thing to do yeah i just yeah i just love snowdonia i just spent more time there and it made sense to do that one first yeah the hardest one first like so you did do the second. Uh, well, that's up for debate. But <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you did the you did do the second fastest time um, behind Jasmine Paris, and she actually came first in the spine race two years ago. Now, actually, what do you think it is about? I've asked this question on a number of podcasts now, but what do you think it is about women ultra running now that sort of seeing them progress more and more, and actually overtaking the men now in a lot of these longer endurance races? Um, I think it's, yeah, there's a lot of factors there. Um, certainly, um, women's mentality is we're, we're much more, I think, we're much more conservative with our efforts. Um, and we are, we are much more, as in we know our capabilities probably more than men. Um, so I think we're always going to um, pace, uh, you know, our pacing is always going to be better. Um, and I think, well, physiologically, just, there just are say lots what of, you're thinking, there... just say what you're thinking. <laughs> physiologically, you, you know, there's all sorts of potential ex explanations. Like we're a bit smaller. We have slightly slower metabolisms. Perhaps we're a bit more efficient over longer distances, but you know, I think I'd like to think it's down to mindset more than anything. <laughs> yeah. What about like confidence as well like it's great seeing the likes of yourself and jasmine are doing these and the likes of nikki spinks as well um who are doing absolutely amazing these longer endurance or races and it does give a lot of inspiration to people coming behind as well and a lot more confidence i think well these people can do that and when you think of the wave that came before you or before that you know there wasn't that much history there and there's this whole new forefront of runners coming through. And you've got like Courtney Dewalter and like Maggie Goodrell who won the backyard event there, who beat all the men. Mm -hmm. And there just seems to be this huge wave, which is drawing all of these people behind as well. Do you think well, there's it, an aspect it, of that? It could just be that women are, people are talking about women a lot more. Like I think women were always there doing great things. <laughs> and but the women's races always used to get ignored. And now there's a bigger emphasis, like women are there saying like, look at us, like why should the men get any more attention than us? So I think it's a lot to do with the how women are perceived in the media, to be honest. I think there were always great women there doing amazing things. They just didn't, probably didn't get the credit that they deserved. Yeah, you must probably right there. I watched the video Unbreakable from the great Western States. Obviously I'm at home. <laughs> at the minute so i'm watching all of these videos on amazon prime absolutely brilliant video though mm. um and to your point you know it's got four unbeatable male runners um you don't really you're not really seeing that 
from a female ultra runner perspective or if you watch this video like Killian's got a lot of videos out and there aren't as many female ultra running films like that out and that could be one part of it I suppose yeah I mean Unbreakable is pretty old now I think when was it 2010 11 or something mm. like that um and I think if people I mean, it's fine. It's a great film. It's super, really well made. I think if a film like that came out now, people would be like, where the hell are the women in that race? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't think they'd get away with it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it's changing. It's certainly changing. Um, so the Great Western um, State is a race I want to just unpack very quickly. It's um, like there's so much history on the r in that race. Like it is the 100 mile race that everybody wants to get into. It was quite an iconic race last year um, that you raced. We had Jim Walmsley who ran in 14 hours and nine minutes, which was just incredible. Yeah. Um, it was almost like breaking the sub two hours, almost like that 14 hour mark now. is. <laughs> it used to be 16 hours when you look back at that video, Unbreakable. Now it's like 14 hours, will it ever be broken? Um, you find out like around is it around Christmas time you're getting into that race yeah I think we because I got a an ultra trail world tour spot and I think we found out before okay. the lottery but not not long before maybe a few weeks so you are ranked going into that race um, they ranked you as 16th okay <laughs> you know more than me <laughs> um, well going into the race anyway you were ranked at 16th so you didn't okay. know that before you went into the race then as such well what do you mean by ranked like according to my itra score yeah. or um i probably had some idea i was fairly low down <laughs> okay um what was your aspirations going into that race i think i was very aware that not many europeans do well at western states mm -hmm. the first time they go there um a lot of you know really really talented people who've done well at you know, big European mountain ultras have a terrible time. So I didn't go into it expecting great things. What I wanted to do was secure a top 10 spot and then come back the next year and, you know, with a bit more experience and then really go for it. So top 10 was my goal. Um, and yeah, I was probably, I was a bit cautious because I, you know, you, you hear so much about, um, the attrition due to the heat and and I just didn't quite know what to expect so I was a bit conservative um in the first half and then kind of got got more confident as the race went on I guess it must be a pretty difficult sort of race to pace in like because you start pretty pretty high it's snow capped you have to come through the sort of snow trail was it diff was it difficult last year was there much snow on the trail last year we had a fair amount of snow yeah um yeah, that was it. Was tricky. It was kind of slow going because you're you're on and off, kind of like big ridges of snow all the time. Um, but it made it kind of fun as well. It, it suited me, and I'm because I'm sort of better on kind of technical terrain with a few obstacles in the way. I think that was good for me. And do, were you like in race mode right from the off? Like, were you gunning for that like top place? right from the start or were you just focusing on your own pace and how you sort of flowed into that race yeah so i mean everyone had told me like the race starts from forest hill and forest hill is the aid station at 
62 miles, I think. So I just wanted to get to Forest Hill in good shape. So, I, yeah, I wasn't paying much attention to what else was going going on around me. Yeah, what position were you at then when you arrived there? Uh, seventh or eighth, I think. Okay. Something like that. And are you aware yeah. of that? People giving you updates as you go along? Yeah, I was I was aware. Yeah. Um, and, like, you had a pacer in that race. Mm. How did you find that? Was that different to what you used to? Yeah, I um I didn't know whether I would I would need a pacer because it's something that you know I've never had before. I didn't know quite what their role was going to be, but um, everyone said, "Oh, you need a pacer," and I thought, "Well, maybe yeah, maybe like it'll be an extra pair of eyes, stop me taking a wrong turn or something near the end." Um, so it's really good. The race um can um set you up with a pacer who I think will kind of match match you um so i had um this guy um brady from san francisco who who i'd actually met up with a couple of weeks before we'd done a done a training run um and we got on really well and yeah it was, it was amazing it was it was so good having an extra person there i i don't know exactly what it was but just someone um like pushing pushing you like all the time um, and I had a really, you know, the last 20 miles was, was, it was a real race, you know, I was overtaking people and people overtaking me, like, um, you know, it was a proper race and I don't think I could have done it. I couldn't have pushed that hard if I hadn't been for Brady there with me, like pushing me, pushing me all the way. So yeah, it was really helpful. It sounds like you're going to have to hire him for your next race. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know what I'll do if he's not available next year. <laughs> yeah, so it has been cancelled already, hasn't it, the Great Western State? Yeah, yeah, it has. Unfortunately. Yeah. What type of kit would you wear in a race like that? Like, what type of shoes? Um, I wear the Salomon S-Lab Ultras. Um, I wear them for all my races, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah. And do you use poles in a race like that? Western States, you're not allowed poles, actually. Right, okay. And so there's, there's a lot of downhill anyway, isn't there? Like yeah, yeah, three thousand feet close to that anyway. Do you condition yourself? Because I find, like, I sort of laugh when people talk about the ascent of races. Now I'm like, it's not the ascent you need to be talking about. <laughs> it's the descent that's doing the damage. Um, and that race is unique because I think from memory there's like eighteen thousand feet of ascent mm. and there's twenty three thousand feet of descent. Yeah. Um, is that something you can condition yourself for? Does it like do you find that hard on the body? Um you certainly can condition yourself for it. And I didn't do that very well. <laughs> One of the things I'll do differently next, next year. Um, so I've kind of thought that, you know, compared to most people, like I do a lot of like um, running up and down hills in training and I thought I'd be okay. Like even races like Western state as uh, like UTMB, sorry, I don't really get trash quads from the downhills. So I kind of thought I'd be fine. So I was doing all my training was, specific to the amount of ascent and I can't remember how exactly how much it is but for my training I work out roughly how much climb per hour I'll be doing in the race okay. and then try and replicate that in my on my training runs whereas what I probably should be have been doing is thinking about how much descent per hour um so I hadn't done as as much downhill training as I probably should have done um and I did get yeah I really suffered actually um uh you know even from you know probably 30 40 miles in i could really feel my quads and descending was pretty painful 
Um, so yeah, certainly something to think about. Um, have you any specific tips for a race like that? Things that sort of stand by you, like, um, like squirrel nut butter, for example, for shaping is a great tip. Do you have anything that you will do in each race, um, that sort of benefits you? It's difficult because every race is so different, you know, and, um, safe safer western states like my number one tip is change your shoes and your socks um like at least once because you go through all these creeks um especially early on so you're and the water's running quite fast so often you get you get a lot of sand and stuff in your in your shoes so you would think that you know utmb you'd be getting debris in your shoes and things like that um but utmb i i don't change my shoes or socks at all but Western States, like you really need to because you'll get with the heat as well and sand in your shoes, you'll yeah, you'll get blisters. So I was really happy that that I did that. But yeah, I think, you know, different different it depends what um you know, the rate races are so different. There's nothing there's no one thing that I do the same in every race. It can get pretty warm there as well though, can't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. Are you okay in the heat? uh for a brit i'm probably above average (laughs) but but yeah um that was something i was worried about for western states it's something you've got to prepare for but i was out there for three weeks beforehand um so got a decent amount of time to to train in the heat um so fourth place is absolutely amazing as you say for a brit um going to great western state for the very first time not really knowing the course and it's such a different type of race, isn't it? Because of the style of mm. it and so much descent and the cold. And then you go down into the canyons where it's so warm and you've got the rivers and the boat crossing, which is epic. Yeah. Um, but then you have that super finish under that white arch and that clock. Like anybody who's been ultra running, just you have that old timing clock, like, which is absolutely amazing. What was it like coming across the line in fourth place? Oh, uh, it was, I would say it was a relief. It was, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, it was just amazing. But more than anything, like relief, I guess, because I put so much into that race, like we'd, so we'd gone out three weeks before we'd dragged Matt, my other half out. Um, And we've had a really fun time, like we'd just been camping and stuff. Um, But still, it's, it's a big deal. Like, it's, you know, you put a lot into that, you sacrifice a lot, you know, I, you know, all my well most of my holiday for the year his holiday for the year um and yeah if you if you put that much into a race and it doesn't go to plan then it's it's super hard it's different from you know rocking up to a 100 mile race in the uk that you know that you can always do again next year it was yeah it was it was everything and i thought that you know it might be my only chance ever running that race so i was i was really relieved yeah. Do you find like was that your best achievement? Do you find that was bigger than UTMB fourth place or not? Uh, I would say they're fairly equivalent, <laughs> equivocal, equivalent, <laughs> diplomat. Um, um, <laughs> it, it is. It's very difficult, isn't it? It's the history that's in the Great Western State. It's a very. Um, it is the race for ultra runners to get into based on the history, mm. and mm. but then you've got. Um, UTMB and Chamonix it's really like the world championships of who's who 
Um, so it's a bigger scene with like, and that's really what UTMB has come down to now. It is now mm. the sort of world champion. So to come fourth in that race and to come fifth, which is whilst you're actually taking part in at work and things like that, it's quite a phenomenal sort of finish. Do you have a proudest moment in any of your races? Because there's so much success. <laughs> uh, I think fourth at UTMB in 2018, probably. I think that's, yeah, I would say that's my biggest achievement. Um, that was, and especially having the disappointment of the previous year at UTMB um, and coming back and that result, that was really special. Sorry, last year as well, you, you ran an 18 minute 5K and a 37 minute 10K. Um, it's pretty <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> You're laughing. I, 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 I'm laughing because you were like, you know, those times I would never have, <laughs> I would, would have remembered them. They were just not a big deal. But it's pretty unique, though, to be able to maintain that sort of long endurance and pace over such long distances, like 100 milers, and then to sustain like 37 minute 10Ks and 18 minute sort of 5Ks. Is that one of your focuses to try and build your pace then on the, for the longer races or did that just happen from all the running and all the strength building? I think actually I'm pretty slow when it comes to short distances. Like most most ultra runners are faster than me over 5K or 10K. And I think it's because uh, uh, most runners start off doing short distances and then they gradually build it up to running 100 miles. Um, like, you know, especially in the US, a lot of the top ultra runners are coming from collegiate backgrounds. They've done a lot of track running and things and they can maintain that speed. Whereas I basically started running and then I think my second ever race was a hundred mile race. Like I, <laughs> I'd never, I didn't have that background of, of, you know, running fast. So it's something that I do try and work on because I know it's my, my weakness. Um, so I did have a period, uh, last well last win last winter the winter just gone um where i tried to to work on my road speed a bit more and i ended up running a marathon at the end of that period um and things because but i still see it as something that is certainly a weakness um but yeah i don't do you know 5k 10k training when i'm building up to a big ultra or anything like that so you've done one marathon this year as you point out so yeah and kevin seawood on the podcast here he actually broke the northern Ireland record during that race oh really oh wow yeah he ran it in 210 um which was amazing Blimey. but you done phenomenal as well it was two hours 48 again it was another iconic race because there was so many fast runners in it mm -hmm. um there was a record i think for the most um times under like two hours six minutes or something crazy like that but two hours 48 was phenomenal time like on the back of all of this sort of endurance racing like so do you think it's just your body has adapted and built a lot of strength and then as you took that opportunity through the winter to build pace into that that it's sort of all coming together now yeah but i i do i tend to disagree that it with you and that i don't think it was phenomenal i think <laughs> it was for, for someone my head was going like what but is she going to disagree with me <laughs> <laughs> what have i said like it's it's not yeah it's like a fast time but for someone who's you know supposed to be like an elite level runner it's not that fast right <laughs> uh for, for example um 
uh, Maud Mathis, who is a, another Salomon runner, she ran 2.30 at that race. Okay. Right, It kind of puts my time into perspective. Um, so what's your plans then for, it's a bit up in the air for everybody. I've stopped asking people this question. Actually, what's, it, what's your plans for the rest of the year? So you're hanging on for UTMB. Um, yeah, I mean, realistically, like when I think about it logically, I can't see any big international races happening as as they normally would until we have a vaccine. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to believe that. I really, you know, hope that by the end of the summer, perhaps some races will be back on unless, you know, unless things are drastically changed and with a massively reduced field or staggered starts or, or some sort of, you know, um, massive change to the format. I don't see or, or if people agree to, you know, quarantine for two weeks afterwards, like I don't see how it's how it's going to happen, yeah. you know. Berlin Marathon uh, was quite a, a marker. I think it cancelled over the weekend there, and mm. it's late September. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a bit of a statement, really, because a lot of the marathons have been moved to October, November. A lot of the world mm. major marathons, and that one coming out was maybe the right thing to do because people do make plans. You know, they're booking hotels, flights, and all those good yeah. things that come on yeah. the back of that, and it's quite expensive um, for the ordinary person trying to book mm. these races so making that shout early was a good call i think um but it does then make people nervous about all the other races and you do sort of get that feeling over the last couple of weeks this isn't going away early you know we're not getting the the drop that we were hoping to get pretty early on and that yeah <coughs> really the rest of the year isn't looking great for that no i think we were we were all focused on getting over the peak and then we thought that it would be all plain sailing from then on and there'd be a lot more optimism but actually it's the opposite now we're over the peak we hope um everyone's like well what are we going to do now like it's coronavirus is not going away it's it's here to stay um just because we're over the peak it doesn't mean that you know we're somehow now now immune to it in most parts of the countries we haven't been exposed you know you know, old people are not going to be allowed out of their houses until there's a vaccine, mm. like safely. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, you know, it's all a bit depressing. Maybe in, <laughs> in, in a week's time, you know, you'd ask me this question, I'd have a completely different answer. But at the yeah. moment, I'm not feeling particularly optimistic about about any international races happening it's this fun, year. It's funny you say that, because <clears throat> um, when I was podcasting Damien Hall he said that he was the optimist and you were the pessimist so <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny when you say that like um, but y'all get married this year oh no 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 no, no way <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no I think large social gatherings will be the last thing to be reinstated yeah so okay. uh next we put postponed by a year yeah Okay, so I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to wish you luck for 2021 then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, literally nothing is that was supposed to happen this year is happening. But I st I still feel fortunate that you know I could just go back to work and I feel like I'm getting something meaningful out of this time because I'm able to go to work. You know. Yeah, no, 100. percent Beth, thanks very much. And um, when are you gonna get the bike out and use it? So I've seen you did win a triathlon 
as well back in 2014 in your hometown? <laughs> um, I, I might go for a ride tomorrow. <laughs> um, I, I've just finished a set of night shifts, so I've got a couple of days off. Um, we'll see. You don't have any aspirations <laughs> of anything like that or anything like a backyard event? Um, hmm. I would say if it depends what, what happens over the next few months. If there's no races going on, then I'll have to do something. Like, I have to do something like that's big and challenges me and makes me feel good. So, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll do something. Okay, watch, um, watch this space then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Beth, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Another great episode from a high-performing athlete. I'm sure we're going to see a lot more from Beth Pascal in the future. Just like to wish everyone else aiming for UTMB good luck this year. I believe the organisers will be announcing whether it will go ahead or not on the 20th of May, which will give people three months to prepare. We have Richard Newton on the podcast on Friday for a UTMB special. So until then, stay safe and keep on moving. <laughs>